we never know what comes forward in a soul when the worst of the worst happens. A deconstruction in the middle of something that strips away family, our loved ones, our land, our connection to ordinary and beautiful life experience, we're stripped to something that is still within as long as it can be there. Welcome to Psychology on the Cross. In this episode, I'm joined by Barbara Morin, who is writing a book on the Dutch diarist at the Hinnison. Barbara is a clinical psychologist in private practice and an associate professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Barbara will help us to look at the life and individuation of Etty Hillesum through a lens inspired by Jung's psychology and also help us to better understand the influence of Jung on her thinking and writing. Interweaved into this conversation are read excerpts from the diaries of Etty Hillesum by Katharina Albrecht. Barbara has studied Etty since the mid-90s, and I wanted to begin this exploration by asking how it came about that she started this long journey. How it all came about is I am a psychologist, and I'm also a, I have a private practice, and, I, and I'm very interested in the intersection of spirituality, psychology, and culture. My dissertation was on African-American women and looking at the dynamics of the intersection of those three things with the women I interviewed for my dissertation. And I'm also a professor at a graduate school in, in San Francisco. And it's, it's a very interesting place as it was founded by a student of Sri Aurobindo who was a deeply transformative spiritual thinker around non-duality and yoga. So it's all about the notion of what is integral, what is truly, yes, body, mind, spirit, but also in the sense of of non-duality and the spiritual path within that. And I teach master's students around I teach them their first clinical class, but I do that in the sort of stages of, in a sense, what we're talking about today around individuation. But I look at from the very primal all the way to the boundless dimension, and psychology is on the path as we move in those directions. So that you can see opens this door for me around when I find Etty Hillison's diary. I'm interested in the whole person. I'm interested in the journey. I'm particularly interested in the, you know, the backdrop and the power and the, you know, in this case, the, the destruction. So then I find this diary and I found the unabridged diary first, which is called An Interrupted Life. I found that diary early on, maybe in the late 90s. And, and now you're writing on a book about Eddie Henderson, yeah? That's right. Yeah. That's exactly and, and, right after yeah. all of these years. <laughs> you shared two chapters with me. So, and I thought it was very interesting in the way that you approach Ethi Hillesum's psychological development. Of course, you have the diaries, so you take us to your starting point, the diaries, but then you have a model, which I thought could be helpful for us to work with also today when we try to make these ideas available. So the model that you're working on in the book is following, you say, a union lens around individuation, but you combine yes. it with a feminist perspective. And a, a woman, a Carol Christ, four stages of a spiritual quest. So it's like a synthesis of a model that you built for following and tracing a little bit what's yeah, Etty's development. The first stage you, you call nothingness. The second stage is awakening or insight. The third stage you call new naming. 
And the fourth stage is the integration or boundless dimension. So then if, if we jump right into it and, and yes. look at the first phase of noth- nothingness in Etty's life. Could, yeah, could you speak a little bit about what characterizes this phase? So I think this stage, and I'll just say just a word about Jung first, it does correspond to Jung's way of talking about the ego's confrontation with the shadow as it descends into the unconscious and precipitates the beginning of an intense experience of suffering in and uncertainty. So, you know, in using some of the language, you know, of archetypal psychology, I might say also, this is a stage that is really about Etty extracting, beginning to get glimpses of extracting herself from this prima materia or this primal chaos of her family. I think she, in all of my experience with the Etty Hillison world in Holland, it's clear that Etty was probably reading Jung a little bit before or had some general knowledge of Jung because she does name in one of her quotes that 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 there's this amazing experience of this voice of her child coming out of this dark collective and she says collective unconscious and in in one of her early quotes and of course this is when she has just she's writing after she's met Julius Spear and it was immediate that she's writing to him right after their first session and you can see something is already happening it's already moving it's it's so ready in within her and she she uses in one of her early quotes this incredible notion of her family and the chaos the absolute chaos of screaming and yelling and in this family and she she calls it this mixture of barbarism and culture Here in this strange family, there is such a remarkable mixture of barbarism and culture that you are stripped of all your strengths. In the past, my picturesque family would cost me a bucket of tears every night. I can't explain those tears as of yet. They came from somewhere in the dark collective unconscious. Nowadays, I am not so wasteful of this precious fluid, but it is not easy to live here. Her parents were high culture. They were incredibly brilliant. So were her brother. We have a, you know, a a pianist that is exceedingly talented on, on, for Misha, a brother. And then Yap is a physician or a budding physician but they're incredibly troubled. They both were diagnosed with schizophrenia at the time. Hmm. And and Etty has the experience also of going around trying to find hospitals to put, you know, Misha in, and, and it's indelible in her experience of the breakdown of being very much a part of the family during the breakdown of Misha psychological breakdown. Mm. And she's terrified of that. Um, we could say her father is a genius. She honored that father, but she had a lot of difficulty with her mother's personality, her mother's chaotic response to the world. I was preparing for this time with you. I just thought about that phrase, barbarism and culture. And I'm looking at how that correlates to Germany's experience. So this is a larger 
talk about the cultural happenings of the the high points of culture of Germany and then the barbarism of the Nazis. So it's a very interesting term. You say it's, a, it's an immediate effect. Something starts to move. C- could you speak a little bit about Pierre's role for Etty in this phase? What's, what's the effect that he has in this difficult phase of her development? Yes, I think it's a hugely significant effect for Etty because first she chose Julius Spear. She was realizing she wanted to be in a therapeutic relationship. She wanted to learn from someone. And she heard about him, you know, offering lectures and possibly free first meetings. And she she had that first meeting with Spear. And she was very impressed with, with him. Now, of course, this gets a little murky because she was also drawn to him. There was a, an immediate in, kind of infatuation with, with Spear. And when I had left you and was going back home, I wanted a car to run me over and thought, ah, well, I must be out of my mind, like the rest of my family. Something I always think when I feel the slightest bit desperate. But I know again now that I am not mad. I simply need to do a lot of work on myself before I develop into an adult and a complete human being. And you will be helping me, won't you? But to really go to the transference that was happening which I think is a very powerful experience for Etty. That we have to we have to kind of know something about Spear a little bit to speak about this because I believe he really was critical of some of the the prior psychoanalytical tra- traditions and relationships that he felt of a client and therapist or client and psychoanalyst because he felt there was not enough love in, in those sessions, in, in that relationship. And we know some of the history of Freud before him and his his own split with, you know, Jung's will actually actually Spear being a student of Jung mm. and, and knowing Jung split with Freud. So he agreed, he, he resonated, Spear resonated with, with Jung. And we also know there was some unclear relationships between merging with, with clients and clients merging with their, their analysts. And, and Spear was of that type. I think he, he made it more confusing for Etty, I think because there was a way that he was connected physically to clients in wrestling and in the ways that he operated quite untraditionally. But what is also clear is that he had, my experience in reading is he had good intentions he was a deeply spiritual man himself, and he really did have a kind of unconditional love and presence for Etty. And she was very aware of that. Not that there weren't many times that she asserted herself, and they, they developed a very powerful relationship. So... But the transference of that he was consistently there when she would move into her desperately hysterical places, as she called them. Mm. And she was needing and clinging and needed to hear something from him immediately when she spoke at certain times or she didn't know how he may have thought about her when she walked away and 
It was very intense. But he stayed. He, he kept showing up. The transference allowed her to, let's, if you will, regress or be where she was in those desperate moments. Mm. To me, that was a powerful effect on her. I regain contact with myself, with the deepest and best in me, which I call God, and so also with you. A moment came in which I grew one stage further, in which many new perspectives about myself and my bond with you and my fellow beings appeared. As you write in your book, he became the center of her life but also of her psychological life somehow, a point to come back to in herself that would give her some a calm or a sense of presence or orientation in, in this difficult phase of disorientation and, and nothingness. That's right. That's mm. right. Well, moving from that phase of nothingness to, to what you call awakening or, or insight, she's in the analysis or in the therapy Things are, are moving. Speer is the center of her life and the work she's doing with him takes a center point. You speak about awakening and insight. Could you share a little bit about yes. how this develops? Well, I really believe there are now in the awakening and insight the beginnings of differentiation. The glimpses of her own her own way of holding and seeing the world so one definition of this phase is something like one wakes up to what is already there that that transformation begins to be more conscious in her a strong straight pillar is growing in my heart i can almost feel it growing and around it, all the rest resolve. I myself, the world, everything. And the pillar is an earnest symbol of my inner security. How terribly important this is for me, being in touch with my inner self. I don't go on losing my balance or tumbling from one world into the next. Something is being consolidated within me. I seem to be taking root instead of continuously drifting. But it is still no more than the fragile state of a new and more mature phase. You must keep watching your step, little one, but I am well pleased with you all the same. You're pulling through, truly, you are pulling through. The quote about this strong, straight pillar growing in her heart is a, is a wonderful one that describes that she's beginning to be in touch with her inner experience. And I think this word is really a word throughout, which I want to say is the word and the actual notion of her experience. She it just has this, how critical it is in this modern moment of how we move to experience over our intellectual view of something. Because Etty is incredibly smart. Mm. <clears throat> and she comes from a, a kind of overly brilliant family. And she grasps concepts quite, quite well. But she says, something is being consolidated within me. It's taking root and it's beginning to be more mature. She can feel it. She's, she's actually feeling this, you know, this awakening. And it's, it's like coming out of the merging mm. into this differentiated place where she can begin to see herself differently as a different person than spear hmm. and that you know because we come out of the family first it's got to go on to the projection goes on to this next person who who starts to direct in a gentle way back to herself 
not to be too technical about it, but there is some withdrawing of, of, of projections in, in this phase, in, in the relationship between the two? Yes, they, they're beginning. And just even I would use an example as a very powerful example that she's beginning to look back and say, I used to be genuinely hysterical and desperate then. And she knows what she went through with him because she said, I would have felt betrayed and let down by his failure to console me in my emptiness and sadness. But now I was sitting there perfectly calm and collected telling myself, wait, you shouldn't be so ambitious. Thinking you have to inspire a man every moment. So the tangle of becoming erotically connected and needing this romantic love so deeply is beginning to be something she can see. So this witness consciousness within her Mm -hmm. is developing. And that becomes the beginning of that differentiation. Mm. And you speak about that, I think also like it's really a process about love and, and learning to love another person differently or unconditionally. That's right. That's right. And I think that's one of the, one of the, I don't know if I would say experience or one of Spears teachings, because I think he did that quite well. Now, I really believe there was a part of Spear, even though he had you know, he had been married prior, he was engaged to someone in Berlin, and he had continual relationships that had a certain amount of touching in them. It made it quite difficult when someone's at an early stage in dealing with that kind of eroticism that he would, you know, not really understand what the other was going through, or if he did, he felt they should be able to handle it in the way he did. (laughs) So I think he was able to, it was a very developed spiritual part of sphere to love humanity and love the other And I think he was quite effective with all the people he worked with. They all felt that from him because I've come become quite familiar with some of his other his other patients that were in this spear group. So he was quite a presence. And they all in this group were very moved by this experience. He had quite an ability to transmit something larger to them. You write also that the love for one would lead to to the love of all. It's so beautiful. And I was just reading my students' papers this week as we talked about presence. And one of those students was talking about their own experience of presence that they moved to in a, in a spiritual way. And they said, and I thought of Eti and Spear, when, when this young student said, I began to experience Awareness, capital A, awareness as unconditional love. And I think that was, whether we call that God or awareness or presence, is really what was happening over time. And Spear somehow was that as much as he got caught in his own human experience as we all do <laughs> so in the background she's in the analysis there is there is an awakening there is insight coming to her psychological development but it's in a time great great political change 
And she, of course, also covers this and writes about this in her diaries. How strange. It is wartime. There are concentration camps. Small barbarity mounts upon small barbarity. I can say of so many of the houses I pass. Here, the son has been thrown into prison. There, the father has been taken hostage. And an 18-year-old boy in that house over there. Could you say a few words about this, contextualizing this process she's going through, and at the same time seeing all these changes in society in regards to, to, yeah, to live in and, and to be Jewish? Yes. I mean, it's, I think it's a very, she's in that stage. She's also becoming aware of, of how this is, is happening around her. And I don't, I don't think yet that it, it has really, I think she can say a lot of things at that stage that she is beginning to become conscious of, even though the capitulation happened in 40, 1940. And, but notice that in 41, she had a tremendous experience of both love in a in a reparenting way from Speer, as well as falling in love. And so this this was a huge experience. And now she's beginning to see this, you know, the separation that's happening. And of course, there's there's dialogue that's going on in her community and with with Speer because he's a lot older and there's concern that he's a he's a teacher in this time so students are beginning to be fearful about are the nazis going to come for Speer first and so it's it's starting it's starting to happen but of course, now, and I, I really start begin to see, and we'll talk about it in the next stage, that she's beginning to see it and experience it and have the, the horror of it, but it's not yet close enough. Yeah. And so she, she intellectually begins to know that they are out for our total destruction. Now that's a very difficult thing to to integrate. And it really deepens her stance of coming to to love in in what I would call capital L love and something starting to shift about a strong stance of not allowing or beginning to notice hate in its very barbarous way. You know, at that stage, families are beginning to disappear. She's beginning to see what's happening and, you know, of course, she would go through stages of great fear. Mm. But she was very clear that she would not be pulled into hate because Speer and Jung really talk about this notion of working on your own, your own hate your own shadow side, as Jung would say, to integrate it to, as Jung used the phrase, eating the shadow, that how do you recognize the parts that you project onto other people? And it's within you. And if you have no awareness of that, you will continue to act it out. Hmm. So you can see she's you know, even her very early first experience at the Gestapo headquarters registering for something as she, they continually had to do. You know, she had 
she came into contact with a young Gestapo member and who barks at her and says, hey, wipe that smile off your face. And she quite honestly says, but this is just me. But Etty is able to go back and play this back to herself and say, what was this young man going through? Could it be that a relationship just, someone just broke up with him or he had a fight with his mother that morning? That's how she continually wanted to touch compassion within herself. We have embraced a new reality and everything has taken on new colors and new emphasis. And between our eyes and hands and mouth, there now flows a constant stream of tenderness, a stream in which all petty desires seem to have been extinguished. All that matters now is to be kind to each other with all the goodness that is in us, and every encounter is also a farewell. Transitioning into this third phase that you call new naming, maybe can you say something about also what is characterizing this phase? I really feel that this, this is the phase of a reconstituting of one's orientation to one's own inner experience as well as the outer experience, that there's something about how one lives with a new, and I want to use the phrase, ground of being. That prior to this, there is the need for the other to be that ground. And whether it was the, the chaos of the original family, which was her, you know, it's very split up ground because father, she wanted to be intellectually like, and mother, she did not want to be anything like. And then Spear became a next, a next kind of other as ground. And she's beginning to stay with her own experience, her own experience of the divine, her own experience of what, what she calls, what she names this divine to be. And I think this is a place that you begin to hear her own evolution of what she considers God to be. So there is a reconstituting. And I, I also want to say that it just pops into my mind that her friends, you know, when this diary was the very, in 1981, there was an event to present the new diary in the abridged form right there at the concert hall in Holland, where just a month ago, not even, the new biography of Etty Hillesum was just presented at that same concert mm. hall 41 years later. But in 1981, all those friends, Tiedemann, Levy, you know, Leonie Snattinger, her friends came to that first opening and they it was the first time it's that they knew that Etty wrote about them and about her life and inner experience. And of course, they all had different relationships with Etty, but one thing they were surprised about is her relationship with God, her spirituality, how intense it was. They were surprised that she never spoke about that. She was quite private about that, only with Spear. Mm. So it's a very big part of Etty. And this stage 
starts to deepen and reconstitute as touching, as Jung would call it, that capital S self, Mm. that she can tap into that now. And so that's that's the first piece. And you mentioned also that that she actually copies a, a quote from Jung three times, I think you write, about God. How is Etty's description of God inspired by Jung? Exactly. I I I love that quote that she put in three times. But I first I think first that the the notion of her evolution around this notion of God, mm-hmm. because her first place was like so many of us that we grow up with a notion of we come into any danger and we just really feel it's it's completely about us and you know like help me help me god you know and she she names that you know i need to speak to god and i say childishly god things can't go on like this with me and there the prayers become desperate and we we seek God in the moments of mess and cl- un, not with no clarity. And then she obviously is in relationship with Spear and they read Jung together and they're in dialogue about Jung all the time. And But she finds something that resonates with her. And I'm going to read that quote. And she says, and actually this is partly Jung's quote, I know people for whom the encounter with the strange power within themselves was such an overwhelming experience that they called it God. So experienced, God too is a theory in the most literal sense, a way of looking at the world, an image which the limited human mind creates in order to express an unfathomable and ineffable experience. The experience alone is real, not to be disputed, but the image can be soiled or broken to pieces. That phrase is something that carries her through, which is the experience alone is real. And as you continue to go through Etty's experience, she she is it it helps her see and the thing that I notice is that Etty has both a transpersonal notion in in this sense of of God, and she also it turns into a personal experience. And I think those two become very important in any in any spiritual journey, there may be people that have a resonance with, you know, the Shekhinah or, or with a goddess or with the notion of any spiritual figure, which can be incredibly helpful as a friend, as a guide. But there's also awareness of this presence that is beyond that and to me she she has both and that that she begins to hold god just like she's able to say to spear i when when i when i speak with you you help me center i think that God becomes an internalized, you know, presence as well. And, and it's a very, it's a very, it's a very powerful notion that 
it, God almost becomes a mutual friend, like in in one form, in the way she uses this this phrase, just as Spear was, just as that she could bring this and say, you know, I know you can't really help us. However, I want to protect this part of me inside that is not going to be taken over by the barbarism. And of course, it's in this, this huge phase of, you know, no naming, as Christ calls it, that she says, just like, you know, Spear had the experience of calling the this notion of reposing in oneself. And she said, that's what I call God. And of course, Rilke informed her notion of God. But all of it is about this inner experience that cannot be affected by this outer one. And it doesn't mean one doesn't go into all kinds of moments of collapse and depression. However, there is something to return to. Mm. And yes, I, I see that evolution as a, as a powerful part of her journey that is preparing her, you know, for what is to come. That what they are after is our total destruction. I accept it. I know it now, and I shall not burden others with my fears. I shall not be bitter if others fail to grasp what is happening to us Jews. I work and continue to live with the same conviction, and I find life meaningful, yes, meaningful, although I hardly dare say so in company these days. Living and dying, sorrow and joy, the blisters on my feet and the jasmine behind the house, the persecution, the unspeakable horrors, it is all as one in me, and I accept it as one mighty whole and begin to grasp it, if only for myself, without being to explain it to anyone else, how it all hangs together. I wish I could live for a long time, so that one day I may know how to explain it. And if I am not granted that wish, well, then somebody else will perhaps do it, carry on from where my life has been cut short. And that is why I must try to live a good and faithful life to my last breath, so that those who come after me do not have to start all over again, need not face the same difficulties. Isn't that doing something for future generations? When you say those words about how Etty speaks about the carrying God inside or a place for him inside, it also reminds me of in the Bible, when, when Jesus says, how should we live? We, we, we live in this world, but we're not of this world. To live in this world, but not of this world. To be in this world, but not of this world. Because, I mean, at this going through, it's a disastrous time. She's losing you, the spear. Spear is, is, is dying, yeah? And she's starting to work at Westerbork, at, at the transit camp. And she's also suffering from sickness herself. That's right. Could you say something more about this? That's right. You know, when we read about her experience of Spear dying, it's it's quite a profound one because she's recognizing that he was the mediator between Eti and God. He was mm. the mediator. And now there is no mediator. And she has to go on. And you can feel this strength in her words. Maybe not exactly yet, but it's it's amazing how her words start to say, I can feel the strength coming to be able, I must go on alone now. And I've got to hammer out the, I want to be a chronicler of this time. And in a sense, that's my mission. And not 
we it becomes clear it's not just a chronicler of events and this happened and that happened it's really a chronicle of her inner experience of how one moves through such a travesty and of course no one can ever fully know what that is going to be and only we will never know what that experience was for her when she did reach Auschwitz. I had a thousand things to ask you and to learn from you. And now I would have to do everything by myself. But I feel so strong that I'm sure I'll manage. What energies I possess have been set free inside me. You taught me to speak the name of God without embarrassment. You were the mediator between God and me, and now you, the mediator, have gone, and my path leads straight to God. It is right that it should be so, and I shall be the mediator for any other soul I can reach. This moving through these phases that she writes about with such a sense of lived experience that you feel it in the very moment that you read it is transformative. And it was transformative for her as it was, as it is for all of us as we read it. So maybe this is, you know, just the moment of really moving to Westerbork and beginning to look at her own experience there because initially that was the place of, in some ways, that first period at Westerbork because we all know that Etty, because she was on the Jewish council, had the freedom to move back and forth from her home to Westerbork and then would come back. And because, as you say, she also struggled physically, she had to recover from, you know, the experience of having kidney stones. And that was her tremendous, it was very painful. And she had to work with her doctor to, they debated whether they, there would be surgery or not. <clears throat> And then, of course, that period ended and she was deported to Westerbork for, you know, she that was the last moment. And the experience at Westerbork all along becomes one of developing another kind of community. And that communitas experience begins to happen at Westerbork, where some of her experiences that are so touching to me when she's laying on a bunk and she has, she worked with young women and girls and she was in their barracks when she worked there. And, you know, she was so aware of their restlessness, their sorrow, their, their, they, their, they were running from the experience of being there internally. And they were depressed and couldn't sleep and crying and sobbing and didn't want to feel. And that she says that she has such tenderness as she is laying in that bunk beneath them. And just, she prayed at that point, please let me be, please God, let me be the thinking heart of this barracks. To be present, to be the one who can see through some of this experience so I can still hold in today's language, I can still hold what they're going through because they can't see it in the same way that I am seeing it. 
I think we, we, we transition into this phase of integration, boundless dimension. And integration, I find an interesting word for this phase because I understand it. But at the same time, when you speak about community or like the way that she was in the community, it's almost like I, I was looking for another word because you're speaking about how her whole process now is in service. The vocation is there. She's working and she's integrated the experience, but she's also, yeah, she's living it as a vessel for the community. That's that's beautifully said, Jakob. I, I I like how you just summarize that. It's it is of service. And I at so many levels of service, because her inner experience is of service to these people, that they are together as deportees, they are together as a group of people hated by the society around them. And, and that's all parts of the society that did not stand up to this force of, of Hitler. And yet, how does one have also a view that can say, this happens. This happens in the world. There will always be an Ivan the Terrible. There will always be a Genghis Khan and a Hitler. I mean, there is such, you know, it's also her brilliance about her knowledge of history. It's also her way of holding something archetypally and and this is a just very important piece for me is that it's also her drive to be a writer and speak about this experience one thing when i read your accounts or your description of Etis individuation or her psychological development. When you walk us through so carefully these different phases towards the integration, to me reading this and, and hearing you speak, it's it also introduces, I think, interesting questions about individuation and, and the idea of, of becoming whole or or becoming who one is or finding one's name. At times today I think the discourse of individuation might also be integration has to do with psychological health or like the idea of becoming whole as, as a healthy state. But in the case of Eti, it's not necessary. So, I mean, she, 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 she suffered in her own ways from various ailments and, and, you know, the world, she wasn't saved from, from the world because of her, her wholeness. So I, I'm not sure if you have anything to say about that, but that's something that came up to me when I read this, that, yeah, how individuation and wholeness can look so differently and how it's important not to, to, to reduce it to something that is linked to necessarily psychological health, although we all want that. Yeah? We all want balance and peace in our life. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is something that you've been reflecting on yourself. Yes, I, I really do think about this because by, by, by moving through individuation, I think when we when we come to something like the boundless or integrating stages of being able to to touch this ground of our being, that can only happen through a process of all processes being civilized, being, you know, it's a developmental process being human. And and she goes through that in the most amazing way herself. But of course, we have no control over what our time in history and what we are going to meet, including in today's world. And that's why this, this story seems so relevant in today's world. There is far more authoritarianism in today's world. And so many of these current elections are moving in that direction. 
including what has happened in the United States, which I write about in this book. And that we had a stolen election, quote, and that that notion of that so many people believe it was a stolen election in our country from you know, Biden was elected president and Donald Trump to this moment keeps the dialogue, that doubling down of the dictator that will refuse to speak the truth because it doesn't fit with their own imperialistic power grab. <clears throat> so obviously I have a lot of passion around that, what this means for today. and. There is, we have no control over what may happen, including whether it's a massive fire or flood, which climate change is, is bringing to us as well. But we do have our own way of touching that ground of being of being itself, of existence itself, until whenever our own death is or whenever whatever our future brings. And that's always in the human condition brings a kind of anxiety. And what Etty met is still incomprehensible in the form that it happened of the deconstruction of hum a human experience into a non-human way of being treated and destroyed. And we hope that that particular form of utilizing science to aid the destruction of others, we. But of course, whether it's poisonous gases or whatever it is, we have touched that in our time right. by cultures. So none of this is wrapped up in any kind of way other than to say it is our, we can touch something in ourselves and we know people, the individuals that have come forward at many times, whether it's Martin Luther King or whether it's any person that comes forward that carries the voice of a time that still awakens us today. And, and we have to do our own work. Maybe Etty is that voice. Dear God, these are anxious times. Tonight, for the first time, I lay in the dark with burning eyes as scene after scene of human suffering passed before me. I shall promise you one thing, God, just one very small thing. I shall never burden my today with cares about my tomorrow, although that takes some practice. Each day is sufficient unto itself. I shall try to help you, God, to stop my strengths ebbing away, though I cannot vouch for it in advance. But one thing is becoming increasingly clear to me, that you cannot help us, that we must help you to help ourselves. And that is all we can manage these days, and also all that really matters, that we safeguard that little piece of you, God, in ourselves and perhaps in others as well. Alas, there doesn't seem to be much you yourself can do about our circumstances, about our lives. Neither do I hold you responsible. You cannot help us, but we must help you and defend your dwelling place inside us to the last. What I find so beautiful in, in the way you worked with her and write about her, you know, how you make this link between the deeply personal and the political sort of unravel 
through the stages in a way. I mean, it, it is a, it's her going deeper inside of herself, but through that goal, so becoming a voice for the community, becoming the, the thinking heart of the barracks. I was imagining now, as we spoke in the end, about what's going on in Iran, the type of oppression that they live under. I was wondering what, what, what you would think, what you would think an activist can learn from, from Ethic Hillison. I was wondering how you, how you think about that, because there's, yeah, there's women today as we talk who are completely silenced and shut down and abused and killed in the in, in same way, in similar ways that in the 1940s. I'm wondering just if there's if, if it's possible for you to convey a message or what, what ethic could well, tell her, a woman like that. Yes, yes. I mean, we, we never know what the inner experience is of that that incredible place of the travesties that go on for yes whether it's the women in iran and also there are two people and i'm gonna say emma shamba and dina and i'm not remembering her last name one is a palestinian woman and one is a jewish woman and they are utilizing Etty Hillison's quotes in the form of cards that have quotes on every card. And they gather both groups, <clears throat> not just women, but of people struggling with, and particularly Palestinians struggling with, with, the, with Israel and vice versa. And they're allowing that space and it's an example and what else is there other that there are going to be some people that rise to the place of if they choose to speak out and we know what potentially can happen if that happens and there are going to be people that somehow find some some distance and from an if there's a movement to another place where they still are a voice for others and then there is the woman herself who the only potential is the connection to an inner life in the middle of this that can be you know it's we never know what comes forward in a soul when the worst of the worst happens. In some way, in the ultimate deconstruction process for all of us is death, but in some way, a deconstruction process in the middle of something that strips away family, our loved ones, our land, our connection to ordinary and beautiful life experience, we're stripped to one, to something that is still within as long as it can be there. It's a privilege to have this human experience. And how do we utilize it in the smallest ways, whether it's providing water or or sharing the water that's left in a village with someone else i mean there are countless ways but how this this world's consciousness unfurls is is both is both can be both wondrous and you know it's the battle right mm -hmm. that Jung is talking about from the beginning between light and dark. Yeah. Well, it's also I find how how you said how you speak about this again. The love for one would lead to the love of all, and how Etty through this love of this man and through the love in this through this process finds to that yeah that love love as a medicine for what's around her. That's a part of the psychoanalytic. Tradition, even you know, Freud spoke about it. Yeah, it's it's love that cures. But 
find that that the way that you take it on Eti Hildesum and her work, it really makes it clear that it, it, it's about love and how how love can be released through a human life. Almost how love expands, you know, mm. to that allows us, um, you know, we get caught in the small, you don't love me, I love you, that mm. kind of thing. And, and of course, it's something for all of us to reach toward. It's not... <clears throat> We, we all get bound in the moments of our smallness. And Eti is a guide. Eti Hillism is a guide for, for me. And I bring her into my classroom and in so many places. And, and at the lowest places, touch her writing when I feel at the lowest places. So... I mean, can anyone experience, as we name, someone going through something like this as well as people have in all of these instances of genocide? And there have been many. So it's it's an unspeakable but speakable from the outside that we can look at it and and go within as to how we how we make sense and how we touch it. <laughs>